Thank you. Sometimes I forget when my birthday is, and actually this year I did, and it took one of the staff members to remind me that it was my birthday the following Monday. So, um, great. What a great, oh man, what a great morning so far. I feel like um, just the platform has been set for me. Um, thanks for coming today. Thanks for listening. If you're listening in the cafe, hello as well. We um, are in a new series where we're kind of recapping the vision of, uh, well, the focus of the vision for this year. So back um, the last Sunday in um, January, Paul shared um, our vision as a church for this year, the focus. And one of the key taglines was arise and build. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be unpacking some of those key elements of the focus. So this week, arise and build. Next week, breathe new life. The following week, find my place in church. So it's all based around the passage or the story in the Bible um, of Nehemiah, which we'll get onto in just a moment. So if you, if you weren't around at that time, I'm aware there's visitors, I'm aware there's people who are new to this church, hello. Um, you can catch that online, you can go on SoundCloud, get the app, or you can go on our website and catch up with that. I'm not necessarily going to repeat that message, and, you know, it's not a revision session. I actually feel, I could be wrong, but I feel like I've got a message for the house that can speak direct to the heart. <laughs> I, I, I just feel it. So if you're new and if you're a visitor, this is a, a message to this, this house, but you can apply it to your context, your church, your family, potentially your job. But I just feel, I could be wrong, I just feel there's a message for this house this morning. So hopefully you're ready for that. Um, it, <laughs> I think on the screen we just got a quick, quick recap of some of the things we're building, arising and building. I'm not going to go into detail. Paul's going to cover more of this um, next week and Sarah. And Paul's going to be talking about the building work, which is on that section there. But we're building a church. We're building one another. We're building builders. We're building leaders. We're building community. And we're building mission. That was the sort of the practicalities of the vision in January. But what I've been thinking about, any kind of vision that is communicated, whether it be church or a business or whatever, the people receiving that vision and listening to that message respond in two ways. Firstly, it's internal. It's your heart, how you respond. Second thing is you act, you do something external. You do something with your hands. And in terms of this vision, there's two ways in which you can respond. You can respond with your heart or and, or and or, you can respond with what you do. You can do something practical. Um, we've probably all been in situations where we've had to do something where our heart just wasn't in it. You can relate to that, I guess. Um, I might have mentioned when I was a kid, I think it was my ninth birthday. I might have mentioned this before, I don't know, but I'm giving it some more um, airwaves, airspace because it's so important. I had a guinea pig for my ninth birthday called Alfie. I think we've got a picture of Alfie and me. You may, you may notice the Man United shirt there. <laughs> Just that's a side issue. Um, but there's a close-up of Alfie in case, obviously, it's, you know, it's, it's quite a few years ago, Alfie. And um, when I first had him, my heart went out to Alfie. And my, my heart was caught and captivated by this lovely little creature. I just, you know, as a nine-year-old, I just could not get enough of his squeaks and his cuddles and his loveliness. I couldn't get enough of the, you know, cleaning him out and his, his mess. And I just loved everything about Alfie, feeding him, cutting up the food. I loved the, everything about Alfie the guinea pig. But as the weeks went on, the novelty wore off. The nights grew darker. 
the weather got colder, going outside to clean that hutch was a, man, I didn't fancy it. Now, I had a sister who loves animals, she still does, and on that first day we had him, or that first week of time to clean Alfie's hutch, guys, woohoo, he's my my pet, I was like, I'm going to clean him, I'm getting all the stuff to clean him out. My sister said, Ben, can I help? And I said, no, he's mine. So there I was, cleaning him away, my heart was in it time went on I was like I really don't my heart's I'm doing it I'm doing the stuff I'm working with my hands but my heart is not in it I know my sister so I asked my sister and long story short you know the documents were signed the adoption certificate was sent off she now owned Alfie the guinea pig my heart didn't line up with my actions I was my heart was not in what I was doing for my little guinea pig It can go the other way, and that was a slightly funny story, but I'm going to get a little bit serious with a very personal story about the opposite, where you've got a heart for something, and you can't do anything, you you feel restricted in, in actually being able to do something about it. So, this is a very personal story, I'm going to try and say it without choking, but um, my, my nan, my nana, in Stoke, you call her a nana. <laughs> My nana. 2010, she uh, deteriorated into dementia. And she went into a, a nursing home in 2010. And this is my dad's mum. If anyone knows anything about dementia, it's, it's a cruel, horrific way to go. You, your communication, your mobility, your ability to remember things, your cohesion, everything just deteriorates bit by bit to the point where, you know, my my nan felt like she was a a child again. Her memories were all confused. She was a child. She was aggressive towards her family to the point where it got to the point where she had to go into her home. Now, I was a 24-year-old. I'm not a kid. And I I carried some shame with this, but I I didn't go and see my nan for seven years. What? Why she deteriorated to be in, in, a be, in a bed, not able to feed herself, not able to communicate. A year ago to the day, it's, it's amazing, to this day, it's, also my, it's my birthday for staff, but a year ago to the day, I went to see my nan for the first time, seven years, having been in, in, in what you'd call you know, a state of unresponsiveness, complete shell of a person that was the, the nan that I knew. I think my, my, my dad and my granddad were trying to protect me from what would have been a traumatic experience. But I had a heart a few years previous to that to do something about it. I was like, it's not good enough me just writing a Christmas card to my nana who I'm pretending doesn't even exist, but she's still alive. She's still alive today, eight years in a home. It wasn't enough just to go to a, a, a wedding or a birthday and just remember my nana. I had to go and see her, but it was in my heart. I had a burden in my heart to go and do something about what I was carrying. I had to do it. But time went on, months went on, years went on, and I didn't do it until one day I spoke to my granddad and I said, I've got to come and see Nana, and we arranged it, and it was the most... People people warned me and said, you won't recognize her. She won't recognize you. It'd be horrible. It was probably the most beautiful moment I've ever had as a human being. Feeding somebody who can't communicate, but that moment of feeding her with a spoon 
the, the level of humanity that was in that experience was, I've never experienced it before. Not even in the 30 years previous of knowing my nan, or sorry, the 24 years previous. My heart was for something. I had a burden for something, but I felt restricted. I couldn't do anything about it. I wanted to see my nana, but I, it was like I had to arrange. I had to travel. I had to go two-hour journey and go and see her, and I did it, and it was amazing. A year later, she's still alive, and I'll go back. But the point I'm making is that we can have... We can do things with our hands and our heart not be in it. But it also can go the other way. We can have a heart for something but not be able to do anything with our hands. You, you've probably got similar situations. You know, think about the heart issue. You've been at work and, you know, your boss sends you on a training course. You do it with your hands. You do what they say, but your heart's not in there. You're kicking back feet on the chair. I don't want to be here. You're huffing and puffing. You know, maybe your husband or wife asks you to do something. You do it. But your heart's not in it. You're like, I'm doing it anyway. Maybe you've, you've, you know, you've upset someone and it's time to make that apology. But you're not really meaning that apology. You don't really mean what you say. Your heart's not in it. You might have a desire. You might have a burden and a passion and a desire to spend more time with your family. But you just haven't got the time. You just... Our lives are too, so busy, so my heart, I'm not able to outwork my heart. Maybe you want to be involved in a ministry or you want to lead a ministry, but you just, you just don't feel like you can. You've got this burden for someone or something, but you just don't feel like I can put my hands to work in that regard. The Bible talks a lot, and it does a lot, about the heart and our actions. You know, even Jesus, he talked to the Pharisees, the religious people of the day. And he described them as hypocrites. He described them as white-washed tombs. On the outside, you look great. Your hands and what you are doing as a, as a follower of, of, of God, as a follower of the law, looks great. But inside, it's like rotting flesh. Your heart is not in line with what your hands are doing. You're, you, you don't really believe what your mouth is saying. You don't really believe the God that you are representing with your actions. And Jesus condemned them. He, he, you know, well, he, he, he criticized them. He, he pointed them out. He called them up on this issue. Which brings us to Nehemiah, who clearly had a heart for something. He clearly had a heart to build and unfortunately, the people of God, the reason he had this, he was in this predicament, and I'll explain a bit more of the story in a moment. But the people of God, the people, the Jews, the Israelites, they had, over a period of time since King David, a corrupt king after corrupt king after corrupt king, led the people of God into sin. The most and the worst imaginable sin possible. They were, they were sacrificing their children to pagan gods. They were, they were doing the opposite of what a God follower should do. They, their hearts were not with God. Even though they perhaps carried the name, we are God's followers, we are not inside we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. So God had to act. This could not go on any longer. So God, and I think I've got it in scripture on the screen, two kings. The Lord said, I will banish Judah from my presence. 
just as I have banished Israel. So the kingdom was already divided. One half had already rebelled against God. Now it's time for Judah's turn. They were just as dirty and just as corrupt. I will reject my chosen city of Jerusalem and the temple where my name was to be honored. God has to act drastically. The history and the story goes, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, one of the powers of the day, invaded and over a period of time captured Judah and Jerusalem. People were killed, slaughtered. People were taken captive. And those that survived, the whole city was destroyed. But those that survived were then taken to exile to various countries, mostly of which was Babylon and surrounding um, nations. It was a complete massacre. It was a complete destruction. The walls, the city was completely and utterly decimated by this one man and his army, Nebuchadnezzar. And as time goes on, 70 years later, they were in exile for 70 years. A whole generation had been born, died, and missed out on what God had planned. But God, as Paul was saying earlier about Jeremiah, God always has a plan. He wasn't completely destroying Israel and Judah and, 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 and Jerusalem. There was more to come. But for 70 years, they were in exile. Now, Nehemiah was a slave. He was one of these captives. He was a slave. He had a good job because he worked for the king. He was a cupbearer. He served the king's wine and checked in whether or not it was poisonous or not. So obviously a very responsible job. He perhaps worked his way up to that position. But he was a slave. He was not a free man. And he asked, as, as things, as, as um, eventually um, Babylon was taken over by a bigger nation, so the, the, um, the Jews were now free to go back to Jerusalem. They started to rebuild. But over a long period of time, Nehemiah inquired and said, how's it going with the building? Are people, is it, you know, is Jerusalem once the great power that it was? Is it once the great dwelling place of God? And people say, no. It's a bit of a shambles. It's a bit of a mess. Some people have moved back in. Some people have started rebuilding certain parts of it. But the walls are completely decimated. Looters come in and steal. Looters come in and, you know, at any point what we've worked towards can be then taken away. It's dangerous. People are getting killed. People are being, are being mocked and abused. And it's chaos. So Nehemiah gets a heart. He, his heart breaks for his hometown. His home people. And he, go, he falls to his knees for, I think, four months and prays. We're talking seven days. For four months, he prayed and fasted. He wept on his knees, on his face, for his people, for the people of God, for the, the promise of God, for, for his ancestors, for his children, for his future. He was absolutely on his knees because of what he'd heard. He'd got a heart. He'd suddenly got a burden and a heart for his nation. And he's talking to the leaders, and this is where we pick up the story. He's about to do something about it. And he speaks to the leaders, and this is what he says in Nehemiah 2. I said to them, you see the bad situation that we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate, and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words. Now, let me just kind of fast rewind just a moment. Nehemiah was a slave. 
He was an exile. He was a nobody, but he worked for the king. He was weeping, tears streaming down his face. He went into the king's presence. Now, bear in mind, if you were with the king and you had tears in your eyes, he had reason to kill you. You couldn't be in the king's presence just willy-nilly, just rock up how you felt. You had to put on a face. Now, Nehemiah was walking a a risky tightrope here. He knew that he had to go and do something about it. So he was in tears. He could have been killed for it. He went to the king and said, I've I've had it in my heart to go and rebuild the walls. Can I have six months off work? And amazingly, the the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, a great name, says, yeah, what do you need? Uh, here's my checkbook. Do you, you know, Paul talked about it in, in one of the messages earlier in the year about he's got a blank check. He wrote a blank check. Whatever you need, I'll provide. All the building materials, I'll provide. You can have it all. You know what? I'll sign the paperwork. You can have the visas, the passport. You can get through every border. There's no problems for you. Whatever you need. I'll give you a military escort. Do you need a military escort? You can have a military escort. There we go. So whatever you need, you've got it all. You've got it all. You've got it all. So he says... The ki- um, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me. Do you get it? He, it was favorable. <laughs> and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. Then they said, I almost need to pause before I do that. He's done all that. He, he's done his big speech. Like Paul's done a, a big message to, to the church on Vision Sunday. Then, what does it say? Then they the leaders, the, the people, the officials, then they, you and me, said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Now there's two responses here. There's two responses, going back to what I was saying right at the beginning. If we can flash, flash up the next slide, Baz. Firstly, They said, something in their heart said, let us arise and build. Something, a decision was made. A process internally was like, yes, we believe you, Nehemiah. We've seen the evidence of what God has done. We've seen what the king did. We will rise. It's our choice. We want to. We're going to do this with you and for you. Second response was with their hands. They put their hands to good work. There's a response from your heart and from your hands. Responding to any vision requires heart and hands. In fact, whatever you do for God, whether it's church, whether it's work, whether it's play, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whatever you do for God, do it with your heart and your hands, and you can't go far wrong. When responding to this church's vision, some of you are new to it, some of you don't even necessarily know what the church's vision is. But when responding to it, do it with your heart and your hands. Don't do it with just your hands. I'm just going to do it. I'm not bothered about what really is going on. I really don't care, but I'll do it because somebody told me to do it. Don't just do it with your heart. Like, oh, I really want to do something, but I can't because I'm too busy. Do it with your heart and your hands. Even in the face of opposition, even when it's hard, Nehemiah faced a huge amount of opposition. There was two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. They were like evil, like munchkins. Is that, I don't know what, no, not munchkins. Mercenaries. Whatever they were, they were bad people. <laughs> These guys tried every trick in the trade to get Nehemiah off that wall and doing, and, and they wanted to, 
They, they spread lies. They spread rumors. They, they discouraged him. They mocked. The, they were like, <laughs> if a fox ran along that wall, it would fall down. You guys are really bad builders. They, they fed negativity, intimidation, discouragement, hurt, to the point where they would even blackmail, spread lies, and, threat, and, and send out death threats to Nehemiah. He's on with a good work, but no, they didn't like it. And in Nehemiah... In, in, in verse 19, in the same passage, chapter 2, when Sambalat the Horonite, it just sounds horrible, doesn't it, Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Here we go, here's another lie. Are you rebelling against the king? They even, went, they even threatened to go to the king and say, Miss, I've got, I've got something to tell you. He's trying, to, he's, he's trying to rebel against you, miss. That's what they were going, That's what the kind of language and the sort of conversation that was going on to get Nehemiah off that wall. Stop building. Discouragement, intimidation, plots, lies, blackmail, death threats. Wow. So it's not always easy to respond with your heart and with your hands. It's not easy. But also... What about this church or the church you're part of? Or what about thinking about a particular vision statement or a particular vision? What if your heart's not in it? What if we, you know, we're saying, arise and build, breathe new life. My heart's in it. But what if yours isn't? What if, you're, you, what if you haven't got a heart for what we're building? Well, I think about what Nehemiah did. To get that heart, he went on his knees. He wept. He prayed and he fasted. And he believed. Okay. So Nehemiah 4.17. I actually think, I'm just going to tell you something honest here. I actually think I've got my notes in the wrong order. But anyway, I'm going to jump a page and then go back a page. Nehemiah 4.17 says this. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. So this is what they did in response. Now I'm back on track with my own self. This is what they did in response to the opposition. This is where I need Gary's help. I've got a couple of um, instruments. Firstly, um, to help illustrate what's going on in this scenario right here. Thank you, Gary. Thanks. So they're building, yeah? They're building. So they, they were building the wall. Probably not using the shovel. They're using other implements, but this is just a symbol. They were building the wall. But opposition came, and they started to get a little bit scared. Their life was in danger, so they needed something else. And Gary, can know you're going to be on your toes. I probably will need a volunteer to actually help me with this, because I haven't got a headset microphone, and I actually need three hands. So <laughs> Now, this is... Thank you, Gary. This is an illustration. This is a double-edged sword in that there's two points to this illustration. I have to tell you this, first of all, as a sort of side note. This sword is handmade by somebody in this church. They made it in six hours, I believe, yesterday. Now, I knew I needed a sword as an illustration for my preach, so I sent out a message to some of the dads who may have boys, and I thought, has anyone got a toy sword? Now, this person said, I haven't got a toy sword, but um, leave it with me. In the middle of the night, well, about 11 o'clock at night, I got a message with a picture. This is made out of wood. 
It was Matt Oakes that made it. Now, the reason this is a double-edged sword and there's two points to this is Matt did something that was passionate. He was passionate about. He loves woodwork. He didn't, you know, it wasn't a problem for him. I mean, probably took a bit of his time away from his family and kids. But it, it, for him, it, it was passionate about making this for me. And I'm given a message to say, to do, I'm going to get onto this in a moment. Do what you're passionate about. Do what your heart is about. But anyway, back to the illustration. Thanks, Matt, for that. This is where I need a volunteer. Perhaps, um, Rob, could you just come and jump up for me? Um, because I need three hands, so you've got two, and I can just talk. So you're one of the builders. and you, what, Are you left-handed? Well, to be honest, this is, this is the dilemma. So if you were holding a sword or a weapon and a building instrument, which would you put in your good hand and which would you... What's the most important? Is it defense or is it building? His hands are full. Now this, you might think, and I've read Nehemiah many times before, and I thought, when they, when they have these weapons, it's a symbol of strength. It's a symbol of, you know what, the enemy can't take us. But actually, when I think about it, it's actually a symbol of weakness. Imagine trying to dig a hole with that spade with one hand. It is near enough impossible. At the very least, it is very inefficient building. And at the very least, if you were a warrior and you had to have a shovel in your other hand, it would be very inefficient fighting. This here is a representation of weakness. Vulnerability. In fact, this here is a representation of hands, because Rob's got his hands full, but his heart is 100% dependent on God. Because if I took one of these away, Rob will be quite a good builder. He'll be an accomplished builder. He'd have no distractions, but he could get taken out by an enemy. If we did it the other way, and Rob just had a sword. It's a symbol of power. He's like, I can do whatever I like. I'm not, I'm not going to do the, the task that I've been given. I'm not going to carry on with the build. I'm just going to kind of take people out. I've, he's distracted from his number one task. So what he needs is both. His hands are full and so is his heart. Because he knows that God will fight for him. God will help him build. Whatever he needs, he can do. Because God has already proven it. He's already shown it that he, he doesn't need a skilled warrior. He doesn't need a great skilled builder. He needs somebody whose heart is dependent upon God. You don't need to be a skilled prayer warrior, a skilled spiritual battle warfare kind of whatever. You don't need to be a, a great builder or a great task person. You don't need to be, you just need to be dependent on God and your heart in God. Thanks Rob. You can, you can take a seat. I'm going to hold the sword. You can just drop there. That's it. Perfect. Just, I just fancy holding the sword for the rest of the message. You will listen. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. So, how do you respond? We're nearly at the end. But I, I need you to think about how you respond to this, this message to arise and build. The key message, the take-home message today is whatever you do for God, you've got to do it with your heart. And your hands. One isn't good enough. You've got to do it with your heart and your hands. But what about this? There's two, three types of response to this church's vision. You could be like Rob. I'm with you, heart and hands. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll clean the toilets. I'll serve. I'll do whatever you want. And my heart is completely and utterly sold out for this. I am completely in agreement with you, Paul. I'm completely in agreement with you, Sarah. My heart is full. My hands are full great. If you are one of those people, and there are many of you, you're amazing. You are <laughs> amazing. 
keep going. But there might come a time where you feel discouraged. You might feel a time where there's opposition. You might feel there comes a time when you need to put one of these down and somebody else can help support you. But keep going. But I want to speak just for about these final two, these other two types of responses. For anybody in the church who you're, you're serving with your hands, but your heart isn't really in it. And there's another group of people, the opposite. You could have a heart for something. Something else that we're not currently doing in this church. You can have a heart for something that we're not yet doing. You think, how do I outwork my heart when I've got no opportunity to use my hands? The latter two, those two can lead to frustration. We don't want a group of, we don't want a room of frustrated people. We want a room of free people who are rising and building. We don't want frustrated people. Frustration is good because it, it rec- you recognize there needs a change and there needs to be movement. So frustration isn't all that bad. So what do you do if you're serving but your heart isn't in it? You could be on a ministry. You know what? You don't have to do that ministry. You're free. I'm going to get told off by every ministry leader in this church by saying, you know what? If your heart's not in the ministry that you're on, you don't have to do it. You know what? You'd be far better suited somewhere else. And let's just say the transfer window of church ministry is now open. (laughs) I'm going to have a huge to-do list. (laughs) Please don't kill me, ministry leads. But wouldn't you rather on your team, everybody whose heart is for it and their hands are working hard? And I would say, if, you're, you know, if, you, if you did feel like you wanted to move on and do something different, there's ways and means to do that. If you had a job, you wouldn't just one day just not turn up the next day. You'd see out notice. You'd honor commitments. You'd, you'd honor the leader. You'd honor your boss. So I'm not just saying drop everything today, everybody, because I'm going to cause chaos and I'll be told off by Paul and Sarah. But the point is the same. If your heart isn't in it, why don't we find somewhere where your heart is in it and you'll be far more utilized and far more just free So what did Nehemiah do? I've mentioned this before. He prayed and he fasted. So if your heart isn't for something, you need something, you need some prayer and fasting. And what a great opportunity. What great timing. Only next week praying and fasting. If your heart isn't for this church, if your heart isn't for the lost, if your heart isn't, you just feel like you've wandered away. What a great opportunity to get down on your knees and don't get up until something makes you cry. Don't get up until... Your heart is so consumed by the need of children or, or the homeless or drug addicts or single moms or whatever it might be for you. Don't get up until you've got a burden like Nehemiah. Use this time of prayer and fasting to actually get something out of it. You, you've got the hands, but you need the heart. Let's get the heart. He wept. And he believed in what he could not see. Nehemiah went to the king not knowing how that would go down. He couldn't see the walls being rebuilt. He, well, he could in his mind, but he actually didn't have the physical resources. or the, He didn't have the tools and he didn't have the materials. He didn't have the people at that point. But he saw what it could be. You might be frustrated or you might feel like your heart's not in it because all you see is lack. All you see is gaps. All you see is rubble. All you see is what we haven't got. But we, as a church, have got so much future. 
We have got so much to look forward to. There is no limit to what we can do as a church. If you've got a heart for a ministry, I'm not saying we're going to do it tomorrow. I'm not saying we as a church are going to adopt every single ministry. But there is no limit to what we could do. There is no limit to what we as a church could do. We've got 200 people in this room. What could we all do? What could 400 people do? What, what could 500 people do? There is no limit. So believe. Find something that makes you weep. You might be in the other camp. What do you do if your heart, you have a heart for something that we're not yet already doing as a church? I spend a lot of time speaking to people and listening and and discussing what your passion is. And some of your passions are for woodwork. Where would you find a woodwork ministry in a church? Well, I don't know. After this, Matt, you might need, we might need a woodwork ministry because every preacher under the sun is going to want something. I was thinking when Lou Fry was talking about the armour of God for kids' church, they're going to want the whole armour of God. So we need a woodwork ministry now. <laughs> Maybe. What did Nehemiah do? He stepped out and took a risk. If you're carrying a burden for something and you're like, I'm frustrated because I can't see how that's outworked in this church. I can't see how I can get my hands onto that because it's in my heart. One of the key things is patience. But Nehemiah took out, he took a step and took a risk. He was a slave and he went to the king. You know what? This is a real simple application. This is real simple. If you've got a heart for something, go to a leader and speak to them. He went to the leader and he spoke to him. I'll give you an example. Josh is sat here, Josh Parks. And he came to me one Sunday a few weeks ago and he said, Ben, I've got a heart for young men. I've got a heart for the, for the, for the men, the, the young adults. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how that works, but... Is there anything we can do to get men friends, to get them talking about issues? I'm talking about some of these young adults, some of these 20-somethings, 18 to 25. What can we do? I've got a heart for them, Ben. And I said, I don't know, Josh, but should we give it a go? So last Friday, Josh arranged, you know, nine or, nine or ten people to go around his house and just, and just well, not around his house. They played golf and then they went around his house and had a chat. And we don't know where that's going to go. I'm not saying making any promises to Josh. We're not, we're, not, we're not saying it's going to be this amazing ministry. But it fits within the already existing young adults. He saw a need. He had a need. And he went to a leader. He went for the right channels. He went to the right person. He went to me. So if you want to do something with young adults, you go to me or Steph. If you, if you have a passion for something, you would go to a leader. You go to a person. And you, you wouldn't say, this is what I'm going to do. I want to do this. <laughs> with trembling, with a shaking hand, he would have presented like on the dragon's den. He'd be like, King, I've got this idea to go to. I've got this idea for a ministry. I'm not saying you need to be a quivering mess. But he submitted and he was humble. I've had conversations with Matt and we've talked about woodwork and his passion. And I'm not promising that we're going to have a woodwork ministry. But I can see an outworking of how that skill, that gift, that passion can be used in the church. You might have something similar. You could be a car mechanic. You could be a hairdresser. You could be this, that, or the other. You don't need to be a preacher or whatever. You can be who you are. But just go and speak to a leader. And the key thing here is Nehemiah trusted that God would provide. He didn't trust that the leader or the pastor would provide. And he didn't get disappointed. He wouldn't have been disappointed if the pastor had said no or the leader had said no, it's not the right time. He trusted that God 
provide for him. And he did. So what should you do? Take a step of faith and act. Humbly submit your heart and your plans. Talk to a leader and believe that God will fill in the, fill in the gaps. He'll supply what's missing. So you can be somebody who has heart and hands and they're all working in sync and it's beautiful. You could be somebody who has a heart for something but you've not yet found an outworking for the hands. Or you could be somebody that is working really hard with your hands. You're, you're slogging away with your hands but your heart's not in it. Perhaps you can just respond today and I'm going to invite the band to come up. Thank you, band. But going back to Sam Ballard and Tobiah, these what did I call them? Munchkins. The, they devised this plan to get Nehemiah off the wall. They kept going to and fro. Four times they went to him. And at one point they sent him a letter to say, we need to do something about this. If you don't come down off that wall, Nehemiah, I'm going to send a letter to the king and he's going to squash you like a fly. Because what you're doing is rebellious. What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is naughty, Nehemiah. But their plan was to get him off that wall and they would kill him. They'd meet him in a, in a quiet place and they would kill him. That was a scheme and that was the plot. And this is what Nehemiah said in response in, in, in chapter 6, verse 3. I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you Nehemiah knew that if he came down he would die if you stop building if you make a decision not to arise and build if we give up in face of opposition there's, a, there's eternal consequences our lives will be damaged because of it. Our community will not get to hear the gospel. Our city will not be transformed because of Jesus Christ. If we choose to respond to intimidation by backing down, by feeling small, by seeing the lack, other, future, other people's future is at stake. It's like Jesus. He was mocked and abused. He was on that cross. He could have come down off that cross, but he had to stay on that cross so people could live. If Jesus had to come down off that cross, like Nehemiah, if he'd have come down off that wall, people would have died. If we start building, people's eternity is at stake. So as a concluding thought, and I'm going to pray in a moment, we're just going to sing a song. We're going to sing the first part of the song, and then I'll pray. I'll come back up and pray. Just, just want to leave that hanging with you. Stay on the wall. You know, if your heart's not in it or your hands aren't in it, stay on the wall anyway. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. If you're carrying a bit of frustration, it's good. Because it means that you want to change. And it means that we're going to move forward. So it's good. We'll get there. Just continue to use your heart and your hands and keep it right. Other people's eternity is at stake. I'm going to ask the band if they would just lead us in, a, in part of a song and then I'll come back up and pray because I just feel, I think it just, should we stand to our feet and let's just sing and respond.